0: It's July 6th, 2020, this is Rook. The history of any of us that originally come from the Middle East and there is no shortage of disruption and the kind of disruption we've experienced is often skewed negative but it's quite something else to be a successful disruptor especially in the business and technology world? A disruptor shaking up the boys' club, say, of usual suspects in Silicon Valley? How about a woman who comes to North America as a refugee from Iran, only to become one of the most influential tech entrepreneurs of the day? Faye Arjomandi joins me to discuss disruption, determination, development, and a new invention for dealing with COVID-19. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to episode number twenty-four of Rook. Hope you are all doing okay out there. Hi, Groovy Shaya. Hello, Hobi.
1: Huam uh, Twenty-four.
0: That's twenty-four episodes. <laughs> wow. I think in a week and a half, it's our three months of of this baby show. Yes, yes. Almost a toddler.
1: Yeah. Yeah toddler actually i don't know what does it mean but toddler
0: (laughs) toddler means uh it's one step of development past baby oh like i think toddlers can walk Uh or crawl Uh baby you know it's not it's not just a baby that's in a Uh cradle anymore it's a it's a toddler um I you know, I ask you how you are. we come in here and we're working getting ready for for the show, but i don't actually ask you how you are so now i say whoby uh, how was your weekend My weekend
1: uh, actually, I just stay home, work on my some project that I have to uh, spend some time on on mm-hmm. it yeah and creating some new music
0: nice yes. how was your weekend um I also stayed home whether we on on the weekend I was invited to this they'd said it was a gathering it was a eat on e-gathering oh, you know okay. uh, and I, I you know I thought oh, I wonder if this is like how big this gathering is I didn't end up going but then my friend who who went uh sent pictures it was it was a a full on mamuni <laughs> you know like like uh, there was probably 50 people there 50 the, 50 five, zero, five, zero. Wow. i mean there was this, it was like party it was like people dressed up eat on you know like and and there was this like uh like the big sofra you yes. know like with uh, inside you know, <laughs> and I was thinking, like, I, I don't know if I'm particularly sensitive because I'm living in downtown Toronto, so you know, we're very careful still, uh, worried about COVID and all that. But, or is this like a obviously, it's not just the Iranian community because you see what's happening yeah. in the United States, yeah, they're yeah, not so all Iranians, yeah. but there's something about it that was just like, I, I, I said to a friend of mine, and she was like, <laughs> you know, like, like, why are we so irresponsible? Or maybe am I just being A stickler I don't know Uh,
1: Actually I I think Same as you think You know It's Five uh, Fifty people
0: I mean I don't know How many people Were there It was packed When I saw These pictures It was It was (sighs) packed And everybody Looked like I mean They they were having A great time I'm sure Mm. But I I couldn't uh, It was It was like Okay I guess It's over Let's have a big (laughs) big Manhuni Let's have a big Party It was very strange It's illegal though Huh I think in Ontario (laughs) I think in Ontario, it, it is still illegal, yeah. yes. Or, or <laughs> I, I don't know, there's different rules for in the city uh-huh. than outside uh-huh. of the city. This might have been just north of Toronto, uh-huh. you know, where a lot of the Iranians live. But um, anyway, yeah. I, 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 it was, uh, so I didn't go. But um, uh, who knows where, where this is all going. There's a lot of confusion, I guess, around the reopening uh, post-COVID. Um, thankfully, the, the numbers for now are quite low in, in, in Canada. Well... Um, I'm, I'm actually uh, very interested in this guest uh, that we've got today, Shia, because she's uh, uh, a different voice from what we've had on our show mm-hmm. so far. Uh, a successful business person, uh, a, a, sex, a successful entrepreneur. Um, and when you think of a stereotypical corporate leader coming out of Silicon Valley, we're not always socialized to think of a woman who came to the West as an Iranian refugee um, And our guest today is perhaps the definition of an Iranian expat success story. Fay Arjomandi is a thought leader and entrepreneur who is a specialist in wireless communications, software applications, and protocol development. She has authored 12 patents. She's co-founded three startups that built location-based services, quality of service, and multimedia content distribution platforms used by mobile operators globally. She has been named one of the most influential women business leaders in Silicon Valley and is now one of the leading pioneers in developing technology Technology that can be used to track the spread of coronavirus without compromising the identity and personal data of users. This privacy concern is a big one, of course. You know, but in addition to all of that, what is perhaps just as remarkable as her business success is the testing journey that Faye has had to navigate to reach this point. Right now, Faye Arjomandi joins me from Los Angeles today. Hello, Faye.
2: Hi, Jian, how are you?
0: What an honor it is to do this with you. Thank you for taking the time out of, uh, I know your busy schedule. I really appreciate you doing this.
2: Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure.
0: Listen, Faye, let me me start with this. It's no secret that uh, COVID-19 is on the rise again in the United States and particularly in California where you are located. You know, I was thinking about you and I was thinking the traditional thinking would be that of all the sectors, those working in technology and anything to do with the online space would be immune to the way the global pandemic has affected business that is in fact your sector would be somehow thriving while others figure out how to reorganize for a world living with covid is that true is business booming in the high-tech world
2: uh i believe so yes mainly because obviously right now we're in them uh, we're in the bit of a chaotic situation Uh, but there was this notion of digital transformations that uh, across all industry uh, was a point of discussion in terms of how do we transform our business to a digital business? How do we bring things, processes to digital? Uh, And it was more a nice to have and planning and let's talk and let's plan. But all by sudden, because of COVID-19, everything went digital. And companies and those who already have a digital solution, they realize that the solution is not as scalable as they were expecting it, as secure as they were expecting it. Those who were not on their digital journey, they realize that they're falling behind and therefore there is a a kind of acceleration to go digital. So it is, in a sense, uh, accelerating that trend
0: so is it fair to say that if you work in the tech world you're you probably have one of the more safer jobs than anybody out there globally right now
2: you could argue that but it also depends it depends on if you had a digital solution what what was the objective of that digital solution for example. If you're working in Uber and the main business of the Uber and the platform that they're developing is about uh, uh, taking passengers from one location to another location, obviously COVID-19 has impacted. And in fact, Uber closed one one of their offices on one of their projects down in San Francisco. Uh, But at the same time, in other sectors, you could say that it's booming. Like when you look at the stock price of Amazon and you look at the stock price of Apple, you look at the stock price of companies such as Fastly and others, you will see that actually their stock price is going up to the moon. So it really depends on which sector of digital technology you're in.
0: Listening to you, first of all, it's a testament to... Uh, when I think about the companies you've built, uh, the patents you've created, uh, the, the the life journey and, and business success that you've had, and even listening to you talk now, it's a testament to the, the idea that Faye Arjomandie dreams big. You have the ability to dream big. Most people shy from dreaming too big because you know, they believe it's unrealistic or maybe even immodest to have grandiose aspirations. But of course, if you don't dream it and believe it, it can never happen. How have you created the conditions for yourself where you allow yourself to dream big?
2: I think uh, living the life that we lived in Iran, right? So I was grade six when uh, I was grade five when the revolution happened and six when the war between Iran and Iraq broke and then I was in trouble for telling the joke about one of the Shia clerics. And then finally I had to escape Iran at age of 17. I think when you live that kind of a life and then you end up in being in a survivor mode and figuring out your life, you automatically think bigger than maybe average people because it's almost like, okay, if I... If I left that life, and if I managed to be where I am today, uh, it's not about tactical steps, but it's about thinking big and and knowing that the the opportunities are huge, and you can just make it happen. And, And it's very important to mention that, yes, I did a lot of things, but I wouldn't be able to do them without a collaboration and a strength of a team. Uh, that were always around me and supported me, or I recruited them and joined the company. So it's also about that being able to throughout your life and Germany, almost curating the people mm. uh, that that uh, that you see have the same fa- uh, passion and have the same vision and share the same philosophy in life with you.
0: How do you learn to do that, to curate, to, to surround yourself with the right people?
2: Obviously, it wasn't something that I engineered, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a learner. I consider myself a person that learns constantly versus in nowhere, right? And I have the curiosity to learn, and I like to always explore opportunity. Again, when you grow up in an environment that schools are like military, your parents always want to protect you from the uh, this, this situation of the Islamic Republic of Iran, and then the traditions is on the other side that you're fighting it, you realize that what you are being told as a norm, it's not norm. And you constantly, uh, everything become a question. And if you are curious about those questions, you, you want to start learning. And as you meet people in your life, You learn from them, and over time, you stay close to those that have the same passion and vision and philosophy in life, and you feel like you're learning from them, and they help you to be a better person every day. And that's how I keep close to all those people, and obviously... Uh, you start uh, the, the the border of friendship versus business partnership versus family start dissolving. We become just human human beings that have the same vision and want to do the same thing, and you start working with them and you grow your life from there
0: I'm, gl- I'm glad you talked about growing up um, as a way to how you've become this person who dreams big. Uh, or perhaps always were, uh, this person who dreams big. Uh, Because I wanted to go there. You know, one of the truisms I think I've been propagating uh, (laughs) since we started Rook is, is that almost everyone of Iranian descent in the diaspora has some harrowing tale in their past as a result of the the tumult the change the decades in the aftermath of the revolution in iran Uh, you are certainly no no exception you just alluded to it there although you skipped over it pretty quickly and i want to get into it because it's it's very interesting you end up leaving iran at age of 17 because you got in trouble with the islamic regime authorities um you may not be able to go into the details but what can you tell me about what happened
2: um I was. Uh, what happened is that I think grade seven. Uh, I, I told a joke about one of the Shia clerics in a school to a group of best friends, <laughs> uh, and one of those best friends decided to go and sell me out. Wow! Uh, and this and is I, before. I this is
0: before you knew how to surround yourself with the right people.
2: <laughs> of course, yes, right. of course, of course, and uh, and it was. It was yesterday in my conversation uh, with one of your colleagues uh, that I said, you know what, uh, for the first time I realized that you kind of uh, uh, experienced betrayal at that age. And, and subconsciously, without I even realizing it, uh, I didn't let that score me and make me a person that uh, mistrust others. I continue trusting others until they proved themselves wrong. But that's what happened, and that stayed with me. You know, that kind of a state, that trouble stayed with me and, and uh, continued on during my schooling until it get to a point that I couldn't stay there and I had to escape.
0: But so the, the person told on you, And then you're given some kind of detention or or what did the, I mean, how did it play out exactly? Uh,
2: Yes, uh, I got some kind of detention. I got uh, asked by my parents to come to uh, school and uh, I was questioned by by some of the uh, Revolutionary Guard and i obviously i had to deny it uh, and uh, and then that kind of uh, uh, i stayed home for a few weeks uh, and then after that uh, i was allowed to go back to school but i was always on their uh, uh, on their monitor by by everybody you know? uh, and at the same time uh, i was just a rebel you know i was just this uh, kid that wanted to live her own life uh and be a teenage you know uh, so in addition to those issues i was always picked on in a school by principal and everybody for mainly basic stuff like complaining about what i wore and my haircut and how i walked mm. and you know things like that so again all those things came hand in hand and finally uh i had to escape at age of 17.
0: you know if i can just stop for a second it, it's it becomes so commonplace especially in our community and in in our diaspora because so many people have stories like this to to sort of roll your eyes and go oh yeah the islamic authorities did it it, it really is if you zoom out for a moment and i guess from the perspective of sitting in north america it really is remarkable you told a joke <laughs> that i mean <laughs> as a kid tells a joke in school and this affects the trajectory of your life um it is it is really Remarkable sometimes these stories that become you know, we've just we've heard enough of them that they it's not a surprise But it really is kind of shocking to me still that this you know, people went through uh, so many people including everyone uh, All of my lineage too that went through these stories have been through these stories and they continue um, In Iran, so when you decide to leave at 17, does your family leave with you or do you go by yourself?
2: Uh, I was by myself and uh, fled to Dubai, uh, and the joke is that I left the Argo style, the movie Argo, where they had to get a uh, fake passport. and everything. You did all that. You got the <laughs> fake passport. and So that's how I left, yes.
0: And so th- that, that must have been uh, emotionally... Uh, scary for intimidating for you as well you're leaving everything you know including your family and off on some kind of journey Uh, what was your mindset at the time
2: you know what i wasn't thinking about any of these things it's just that i was put in that situation and i just had to get it done obviously uh, uh scary but I, I thought through those experiences quite a lot. I was trying to think about what I was thinking in that time. I, I can't. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly how I was feeling. I do remember that I was sad uh, and obviously scared. But anything else is almost like uh, it's a distant memory, and. and uh, and I can't exactly remember whether it was, like, how it felt or anything. Obviously, every time I think about it, sadness and, uh, and fear comes to me. And, and I'm also quite shocked that uh, how, could, how could I just say, yeah, let's leave. Let's go. Yeah. This doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, without thinking about any of these things. It was almost part of life. Well, sometimes yeah.
0: we're, we're braver as teenagers than we, even though uh, we're, we're also scared as teenagers, we're braver than we might be later in life. Uh, and that seems to be the case with a lot of Iranians who, you know, find the strength to, 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 to do, make this kind of move uh, and are determined to get out. Uh, sorry, what were you going to say? I didn't mean to cut you off.
2: No, no, no. I, 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 I was going to say that uh, this was part of life. When you grow up with a struggle and you're constantly scared because, I mean, you go out in the, in the street and the Revolutionary Guard stop you. Uh, you, you have a party with your friends, actually uh, I was in a wedding and all by sudden the revolutionary got uh, uh, just attacked and uh, destroyed everything and we had to run with high heels, we had to run and escape by jumping over a wall, right? right. So that, that fear and, and that fight uh, grows in you and with you. So it becomes a normal thing, right? It, it almost like it, it desensitizes you about it. So, and, and funny thing is that when I look back and look at my experience and then I compare myself with what's happening uh, in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon and I, and I feel like I was still part of the lucky genes. Hmm. And you know, I didn't have to go through all the misery, Yes. unfortunately, the misery that they are going through today.
0: You did have so, to actually go on this obstacle course of places that you went to before you got to North America. I mean, you seem to have taken the longest route imaginable. Uh, where did you go after Dubai? And, and tell me about these stops you make on along the way um, before you get to, to Canada, I suppose, and what you took from those experiences.
2: Sure, I lived in uh, Dubai after that, uh, Sweden, after that, Turkey. Then uh, I moved to Canada, where I landed in Toronto, a few weeks, a few months in Toronto, then about a year and some in Ottawa, uh, and then about three years in Montreal, and then 11 years in Vancouver, and then moved to Bay Area, and lived between Bay Area, London, uh, UK, and Spain for a while because of my work with Vodafone and then I moved to LA. So, hang on uh, a so second. So
0: <laughs> when you're in Sweden for example or Turkey or you know as this woman in in her early 20s who who's fled from Iran, what what is your life like?
2: Always uh, trying to uh, learn from where I was and again uh, adapt to the culture, uh, pick the good things from the culture. Uh, detox myself from the bad things of the tradition uh, and, and and combine the two together and make a better cocktail for my life. So in Dubai, the first thing I did was actually started a hair salon. I was fascinated about being a makeup artist uh, in my early, uh, younger life. Uh, and then when I moved to Sweden, obviously I was a refugee. And uh, I immediately applied for a job. I immediately said that I wanna, I want to get a job, and I want to work. I want to learn the language, and I want to get a job, and I want to work. Uh, so I went to school to learn the Swedish language, while at the same time I got a job as a in a kitchen of a uh, uh, of a school. And my first day of job uh, job was to bike to work at 4 a.m. And then the first task that I was given was a bucket of 300 cooked eggs that they told (sighs) me to peel it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, And they taught me how to peel it with the side of my thumb versus with the nail, uh, because that goes faster. Uh, But despite a lot of challenges, uh, I I was feeling that, oh, how lucky I am that I'm here, I'm learning, it's something new. Never felt sorry for myself, never felt like, oh, I was such and such in Iran, I had a comfortable life, like I had a good life with my parents and this and that. Uh, and now I have to come and uh, be a clerk in a, in a school kitchen. Uh, so uh, that's, that's how life was. And over time, I learned the language better and better to the point that I used to speak fluent Swedish. Uh, and I got mm-hmm. a job uh, with government uh, uh, to be an interpreter between Iranian uh, immigrants and refugees and Swedish government. And then I decided to move because uh, the the, the situation in Sweden at that time wasn't that uh, easy either. Uh, but uh, I, I decided to move and that's how I ended up in Turkey and finally in Canada. What
0: are your parents saying at this point? Were they, uh, I mean, I, I guess now we're getting into the, the 90s. Were, were they, would they encourage you to come back to Iran or were they uh, encouraging you to k- keep going on your journey from country to country uh, finding your place?
2: Uh, definitely they were not encouraging me to go back to iran uh, but uh, they they were they were more encouraging me to keep pushing forward uh, to go on they were asking me if i need money and things like that and i was always no uh i'll i'll figure it out myself i'll work and i make my own money i never i never i felt so indebted to their sacrifices oh. uh, that they did for us. And I always wanted to, to be independent from, I felt like they did enough for us, and now it's my time, it's up to me to make my own life and to make something out of my, uh, the opportunities that I have. Uh, but no, they were, they were constantly kind of supportive and go forward, uh, and that's it.
0: Sophie, you end up in Montreal, Canada. And um, mm-hmm. you've been working as a hairstylist. You have some, some ambitions as a makeup artist. This is the turning point where you end up going to Concordia University uh, for engineering. And, and even at that point, there's some pushback in terms of your journey because at this point now you're in your mid-20s and considered old to be starting post-secondary school, um, which of course isn't that old, but I, I guess it is when some of the other students are 18 or 19. W- what can you tell me about that time?
2: Uh, yeah, so I actually started the school uh, uh, based on the fact that somebody told me that you're too old to start going to university. And I thought, like, I don't take no for an answer, and I'm not too old or too young for anything. So I decided to sign up for Concordia University, uh, and, uh, and I talked to the admission office Linda McDonald. And uh, and Leno looked at my background and profile and things that I have done, uh, and she said one thing to me. She said that, OK, I'm going to give you the opportunity to join Concordia, but it's up to you what you do with it. That kind of stuck with me, uh, and, uh, and I started studying really hard, feeling that I'm too old and I need to finish school faster. So I was taking instead of uh, like 12 credit per semester, I used to take 20, 21 credit (laughs) per semester while I was also working as a waitress and, and bartender at an Iranian restaurant in Montreal. Uh, so sometimes I had to work double shifts, uh, kind of work in the afternoon and then uh, in the evening, and then go home, clean up, come back and serve breakfast, and then go to school. Um, and it was it was a fun uh, time. It was I, w- I was always proud of myself. Like my parents, actually speaking of my parents, my parents were not that. Happy that I'm working at a restaurant. They were like, oh, we send you money. Why do you go and work in a restaurant? And to me it was no, I'm learning I'm learning culture. I'm learning how to socialize. I'm learning to stand on my feet while I'm also studying." So that's how the experience was
0: well, you end up. By the way, what happened to the the, the hairstyling? I mean that and the, 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 the makeup. The, was that did engineering capture your heart so much so that you you lost your passion for for hair?
2: actually it's interesting because I was I, at the same time that I had this conversation I was uh, into a makeup artist and I had uh, started a makeup artist class and in fact I won a uh, prizing in in Ontario for makeup artist. Of course I then, you did. Uh, <laughs> yes. I got the second <laughs> prize uh, and uh, and then I thought that okay I can study and what is the worst thing that can happen if I don't like it I'll go back to makeup artist. But then over time, yes, engineering and problem solving. You know, I have this bug for problem solving. (laughs) Uh, And that kind of captured my heart enough that uh, I never went back to... Uh, being a hairstylist, except for now that is COVID nineteen, and I end up cutting my own hair. <laughs> right.
0: Well, there's there would be nothing wrong with being there's some there's incredible people doing incredible work in the hairstyling industry, and some of them are Iranians. And but I have the sense that had you gone into that field, you would now own a chain of a thousand salons because of your <laughs> your abilities and ambitions. You you end up excelling academically at Concordia, as you say, and and you soon put your engineering degrees to to good use in IT and uh, communication technologies, I suppose. But you also begin running companies. And this was an interesting one for me because I was, again, thinking about you. And I was thinking, how does one learn to run a company? Uh, you've said you believe in something called experiential learning. Can you describe what that is?
2: Problem solving is a basic tool of life for me. You, know, you have a problem. How do you address it? And, and that problem, and I think what engineering taught me is more about systematic approach with how do you divide a problem to smaller pieces and start evaluating each one and, and then how do you collaborate with a group of people to solve it? So that was, when you take that as a basic tool in life, Then you get interested in starting a company. And you say, okay, I don't know anything about starting the company. Where do I start? You start by saying, where do I register a company? Do I have to register a company? So that's how I started. And that's what I call uh, uh, learning while you're doing
1: something. Mm.
2: And also not being afraid of asking for help and finding people that can help you in that journey. And, and some of those people end up backstabbing you. Uh, I mean, I have my fair share of being backstabbed <laughs> many times. And, and some of those people stay with you for life. You know, I have one of my team members that I started. It was one of the individuals that I started my first company with, with, with him. Like he was, uh, he joined our team. I was his family member in his wedding. I was, I was the person that was his family member in his wedding. And 20 some years after, uh, he's still working as one of the executive team members at uh, Mimic with me. So there were people that backstabbed me and they're no longer in my life. But I, again, you don't hold grudge from right. for any of these things. You just learn and you move on how to do things better next time.
0: Why don't you hold a grudge? What's what's the... Um, tell me about why it's important to not hold a grudge. Uh,
2: it's a negative energy that takes energy off of you more than off of the other people that you're holding the grudge on. Right. right? If I'm... If I'm if I get so negative and my heart gets so dark that oh, this person ruined my life. Oh, this person did this. Oh, oh this person, I'm never gonna do anything for them. Or, or no, in reverse, I wish you all the best in your life, and may the universe <laughs> teach you how to be a better person, and you move on. You know, you don't spend a, an epsilon of time. Uh, on thinking about that person. I gotcha. Uh, and you don't uh, spend an epsilon of uh, uh, a, a small corner of, of your spirit, mind, and heart, and emotion uh, to maintain a negative thought of that because it, it, it hurts you more than it hurts the other person. Now, the other person, as far as I'm, I'm concerned, may not even know right. that you're so upset with them or they don't care. So what's the point?
0: So, Sophie... Uh, since you ultimately chose the high-tech sector as your career path, you've been involved in many innovative projects. We talked about all the patents, all the companies you founded. Uh, one of them, uh, if I dare say, is that that's close to my heart because of the, the way cancer has affected my family, is the app you developed which enables cancer patients to manage their treatment options. Um, tell me what your motivation was in that project.
2: Anything I do, I look at it from my point of view, like I've been in this situation and there wasn't a tool that can help me uh, manage the situation better. Both my parents are cancer survivors. In fact, uh, my father is still under basically monitor for his uh, kidney cancer. And unfortunately, I have lost dear family members and friends to cancer so when i was given the opportunity to join uh, a company as a ceo that they were all about pharmaceutical uh, uh, discovery of medicine for personalized uh, cancer treatment i realized that uh, there is no solution that could help a cancer patient and the care providers of the cancer patient uh, to manage that treatment and that journey better which I went through myself, with my parents, or with the loved ones uh, that I lost. So, I thought, why not applying my technical skill set with a view of a patient and family member of patient to deliver a solution that can help them through that journey. Mm. So, I put myself in the middle of that entire experience, and I led that initiative, and I kind of mapped what I wish I had available to me for these uh, patients and family members and care providers, and I put the team together again. I built the team to to help deliver that, and uh, that's one of the solutions that I'm very proud of, uh, especially after we launched the solution. And we did a trial with uh, uh, cancer survivors, patients, and uh, those who they were either survivors or patients at that time. And when they went through that experience and they were working on that application, they constantly said, oh, this is friendly, this is useful, This, this helps me. For the survivors, they were saying. I wish we had this when we were going through their journey. And for me, it was like check, check, check. So everything is exactly what I want it to be.
0: I love this so much, because I, I think it's a great maxim, which is, if you're gonna create something, create something that you would want to use. Uh, if you're gonna write a song, write a song that you would want to hear. <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna bake a cake, bake a cake that you would want to eat. It it really makes sense, right? When you talk about supply and demand, people always ask, well, is there a demand for this? It's like, well, yes, I would want it, right? <laughs> That's a great, it's a <laughs> great idea and a great exactly. way to look at your initiatives. So let me ask you about this this latest one now that you've been um, in the news for as well. And this is uh, this is back to what you're, you talk about the peer to peer communication and these platforms that we would create on our own personal devices. And one of these potential applications on these platforms is is this technology for contact tracing or contact tracking, which can be a useful tool in the hands of of, of trying to combat the spread of the coronavirus. So tell me about this new technology, again, with a mind towards the fact that myself and a lot of people listening aren't ne- aren't necessarily tech experts. What is it that you're creating that can help us in this pandemic?
2: Absolutely. So when COVID-19 happened uh, uh, and this notion of contact tracing started bubbling up, although at that time they were not calling it contact tracing, the name formulated a few months after we realized that in order for us to, because they said that the first one of the first information that came out is that you could have been in proximity of someone with COVID-19 within right. the past 14 days, yes, and not knowing about it, yes. So I, I, I immediately realized that oh, this is about proximity within the X period of time. So what if we can develop an application and our platform, our hybrid edge te- technology platform automatically has this built in capability of devices discovering each other, devices seeing each other. And without revealing any user information, devices keep a track of each other uh, without knowing that this is Faye or this is this phone number. And I realized that and and with capability that our system has, data remains on device. Again, this is a concept that I I refer to it as almost like the same way that you have money in your uh, pocket, the same way you need to have your data in your pocket. So it's almost like a data wallet. There's a data wallet uh, uh, notion that the data remains on your device. And therefore now, Um, On one side, our devices can discover each other. On another side, our devices keep our own data in our own device and in our own control that I can say who can see it or who cannot. Uh, And at the same time, because these devices are now cloud, each device is a cloud, I can send direct message to a group of devices right so i can create a communication between these devices again without the necessity to always go to out. okay sorry uh,
0: sorry so just let me let me stop ahead. for a second so are you saying that talk to me like i'm a a 6 year old sorry I, i'm not quite understanding are you saying that i would walk into a room and then on my iphone or on my android phone or whatever it is i would be able to track i would be i would know if anybody in the room has COVID 19
2: no 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 you 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 walk into the room and devices are discovering each other okay now there are some address so we create this random address your device now holds a series of random address that you don't have visibility to uh, from the, the other devices so it's almost like you have an address book okay your device automatically collects a bunch of addresses that is not connected to it doesn't say gian and it doesn't say his email or it doesn't say his phone number it's just an address it's okay. like a p.o box that nobody knows who that p.o box belongs to so you hold a bunch of address and i am in the same room i'm holding a bunch of address then let's say that i that I that I get diagnosed that I have um, COVID 19. Mm-hmm. Now the moment I have that lab confirmation that I have COVID 19 and that lab con- confirmation arrive in my device, the system automatically goes through that address book, okay, and and that through that address book send an anonymous message to all those addresses. One of them is you. You receive that. Uh, message that says somebody who was in your proximity in the past 14 days or in these days I see. is now diagnosed with COVID-19. You don't know who this email message came from and you don't know anything about it except for an alert.
0: It's not necessarily while you're in the room <laughs> because uh, if, if there's uh, exactly. three people in the room <laughs> and I get the message, <laughs> I'm going to know. It doesn't matter if your name's not on it. I'm going to say, well, one of you two has is infected, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. No, absolutely. That's a huge intrusion on privacy. In fact, I once wrote an article, and I never published it, that I said these contact tracing applications remind me of the yellow badges of Holocaust, because soon we're going to get a badge that, oh, you're a COVID-19 patient.
1: But, this
0: is, but, 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 but hey, this is the concern. I mean, I know there's been some controversy around this. You've been asked about it. But this is the concern that this same technology is then used to track protesters in Hong Kong or striking trade unionists or Black Lives Matter activists. So how do you how do you protect that? How do you secure the technology away from it being used that way?
2: Absolutely, and that's only the way you protect it, is that uh, you own your data, and your data gets processed on your device, and you control who, when, for how long can see your data. The example we give is that, imagine you had a break-in in your home. You ask the law enforcement to come to your place. They come in, knock on the door, open the door, look at the list of things that are missing, look at the list of things that are there, and then they leave. You don't give the key to your home to them and say, given I already had a break in, from now on you can come in right. anytime. Right. As far as I'm concerned, anybody can come in anytime and grab anything they want, right? You give them access, they get a report, and they leave without taking anything else with them. And that's what data should be treated moving forward. This is a very risky uh, situation, and it's a risky time because uh, what Apple and Google are suggesting and they approach it with, they're adding this capability to the operating system and that capability is about bluetooth address tracing and contact tracing is not only about bluetooth address tracing it's not only about that contact tracing because now i'm a patient now i need to access my healthcare provider as a technologist i know that from the time that my data leaves my device to the time that my my data gets to my healthcare provider, there are few middlemen in the way as well, with a risk to get a snapshot of your data too. Right, right. Right? So what I'm saying is that now at the time that uh, that I get sick and I need to have my healthcare professional, instead of going through all those middlemen, now the healthcare provider can come to my device to see a group, a series of data, and still provide me the service that I need. Right. And that's where the edge cloud versus cloud is right, because with cloud, the healthcare provider need to integrate with the backend of an application through the cloud, a Which potentially
0: place. anyone imagine, can see. Imagine,
2: right? Imagine even you have a break in instead of inviting law enforcement to come to your home, first you move all your stuff to another storage or another place and tell law enforcement, go look at it there. Right? So you don't do that in physical world. And in digital world, we now have the opportunity to say, no, healthcare provider, you come and integrate with me directly on my device and I give you some access to see, but I may not want to give you The right to copy that information because tomorrow i'm going to be on another healthcare provider and maybe there are certain information that i don't want to disclose to people these are my information
0: but well i was going to say you understand that this is scary for some people right that that any any kind of information that we put you know onto that that personal device we are i mean i have friends who won't use whatsapp or even i know somebody Mm -hmm. who doesn't even use gmail because they're so scared of um, more violations or invasions of their privacy so what do you say to those people
2: I say they're right. (laughs) I say they're right and they should be scared. And even I told the Canadian government that I will not download that application myself. In fact, I will stop updating my operating system on my phone because it's, it's almost like they're promoting security by obfuscation, meaning that they're not telling you what they're changing and how that impacts you long term. So, and I told the government that in order for contact tracing to be adopted successfully, you need about 60% or more in any region at any time where the group of people are uh, together. And in order for you to reach that 60%, you need to ensure user that your data remain on your device and in your control and that data doesn't leave your device. And, And that's not only through the contact tracing time, but through the entire experience. Telling people that don't worry about it, it's not going to eliminate my doubt right. to download it.
0: So what is the status? And it of- has to
2: be an application so that I can delete it versus an OS uh, right, uh, right. update. I'm sorry I caught you. It's okay. Ahead.
0: I was going to, what, what is the progress of this now? Where, where, where is this app uh, with the contact tracing app? Uh, what's its status at this point?
2: Sure. So, in order for us to do, to publish that application for consumer, as per Apple and Google mandates, we we can only publish an application for direct to consumer for COVID nineteen contact tracing if the government is supporting it. Otherwise, we cannot publish that. So, but for enterprise, this notion of solution for going back to workplace safely, we have a lot of conversation. For direct-to-consumer, we cannot publish it unless government support it, and, and, and government so far has been silent about it, except that they said that they're going with Apple, Google, Shopify, and Blackberry, and they are still remaining proactive, reaching out to them. The communication, unfortunately, is one way versus two way. But being who I am, not taking no for an answer, Hmm. I'm still pushing. Which government (laughs)
0: are you talking about?
2: The prime minister announced that uh, a couple of weeks ago that they're uh, they're launching an application for contact tracing.
0: Sorry, this is the Um, Canadian government?
2: Yes. I see. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau for Canada, Canada announced a couple of weeks ago uh, that they are uh, working with Apple, Google, um, Shopify, and Blackberry to launch a, a contact tracing application for Canadians using a collection of technology from these providers. That create a lot of suspicion because Apple and Google approaches OS update approach it is not clear what is the role of one of the largest shopping platform provider in the world huh, is right. in launching the application. So we'll see. We'll see which way. But, but there hasn't been any successful contact tracing launch anywhere in the world mainly because people are afraid of adopting it for the right reason.
0: Sure. But you're, you're in L.A. Is there a reason why you're just going to the Canadian government? I mean, what about the U.S. government or, for that matter, U.K. or German
2: government or whomever? We have a lot of conversation with all governments. We have a lot of conversation with all governments, uh, both in U.S., Canada, U.K., Germany. And is it still ongoing. Uh, for some reason, they're constantly going back to Apple and Google approach uh, versus uh, doing the right thing or taking the right approach. Is it because uh, Apple and Google are the two largest uh, technology provider in the world? Could be. Is it because uh, the interest on keeping user data private is not there mm-hmm. as much as governments are talking about it? Uh, I don't know. But as I said, uh, on, on that front, we're still in discussions. We're still reaching out and trying to educate the governments around the world. But on the enterprise side, uh, we have a lot of conversations and discussions and potential customer deployment with large enterprises for going back to workplace safely.
0: It is really... I really have been enjoying... I have enjoyed uh, talking to you. It is... Uh, I kind of suspected it would be this way, but it's, it's, it's realized my big dreams of talking to you <laughs> in, in the sense that you, uh, uh, you know, your, your self-confidence and, um, uh, your, your view on life, uh, and what you've done is, is so inspirational and I really appreciate it in getting a, a chance to, to talk to you and, and have your voice, um, speak out to all those who are listening across the diaspora. I want to end off with a couple of uh, zoom out again and uh Enough with a couple of more general questions that that uh, I thought of as I thought of you and some of what you've said along the way in your journey. And you've said that people uh, starting a company or involved in a business in any sector need to embrace technology these days. And you said to not be afraid of it. And, you know, there may be some people of Iranian descent thinking okay, this is great, and you're building your apps, and you're talking about all this, but why do I need to embrace technology to start my real estate firm, my family law practice, or my carpet store, or my Persian restaurant? What would you tell them?
2: It's the future. You know, technology enables you to reach out to wider audiences, almost like it opens the door to other possibilities for you versus just the four walls of your business, you know? And investing in technology for your business and for your operation is extremely important for the for the sustainability of your business uh, nowadays, you know. Uh, your customer, if it's about customer acquisition, it's, if it's about delivery, if it's about scheduling a staff better, if it's about improving the operational efficiency, the more in-depth knowledge that drives from technology back to business that enables you to fine-tune your business and expand your business better. So it's the core of our life in future. um, that is important that is important but I think there's also another important thing that that we should not forget if I may add that along with the technology uh, is art and or artists because I always look at these two as heart versus logic
1: Hmm.
2: heart is the one that pumps the blood in the body and gives us life logic is the one that allows us to think and the two need to work in harmony so while we're leading on the tech sector we should not forget about the importance of art and we should not forget about supporting artists and building platforms that connects artists with their audience in a more direct way that they can maximize the return on their work by by eliminating the middleman and by bringing the, the multiple source of revenue back to the artist and their fans and followers.
0: Which is also uh, a timely reminder that we need those platforms in a moment of... Of pandemic when uh, artists cannot um, do it on a uh, and physically in front of uh, cannot perform concerts or or um, uh, have packed art gallery openings or um, whatever it might be. Um, here, here, here. Let's hope those platforms continue to proliferate. And and thank you for Absolutely. saying that. You know, before I let you go, then uh, let me f- finish off with ambition, because you are clearly you have proven uh, with your track record and in this conversation that you're you're certainly not afraid of ambition and you're drawn to it. How how many hours a day do you work? What's your what's your how, <laughs> how how do you navigate the a balanced lifestyle? I'm sure you've logically plotted out that it's important to have a balanced lifestyle. So how do you not burn out?
2: Uh I love what I do, Gianna. Cliche as it may sound, I really love what I do. So it doesn't feel like work. In fact, for me it's a form of creativity. I do work Twelve to fourteen hours a day, and for the past uh, few months of post COVID nineteen, uh, that included even weekends because we have nothing else to do.
0: <laughs> you could suntan, you could read a book, could go for a walk. <laughs> what do you mean? There's nothing uh, else to do? You know, yeah. well, not should. This movies. is like a you know, this is where you get called a workaholic.
2: Yeah, well I do watch a lot of movies I'm a movie buff okay. I'm, a, I'm a documentary buff Actually I post a lot of uh, My favorite documentaries and movies as well But at the end of the day Even when I'm having fun And I'm watching something I'm thinking, ah oh, we should, we could create something <laughs> like this, that, that, this and that and that. Right, and we, right. uh, along this, uh, this, this discussion,
0: we, are st- G- you have to create an In- app for everything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we actually started an organization just because of that. We started an organization, like, for instance, for United East. We started an organization with Evan Khachiki and my two business partners, Sevesh Alamuti and Sam Armani, to help artists, like... I have so many artists around me that i keep hearing their problem and i thought you know what we need to roll up the sleeves and create an organization for them that we bring diaspora progressive artists uh, from conflicting countries on same uh, uh, on same uh, uh, stage to perform together nice. and we had big plan for that but that's the thing i am i mean even when i'm relaxing uh, the word for me is always there are problems that need to be solved and I wish I had more power to address them all
0: so if you think about the girl who told the joke back in Iran and who pushed back against authorities and who was the, re- the rebel with the haircuts and all of that uh, and who left Iran when you were 17 what would you tell her now as the success that you've become one of the greatest life lessons you've learned so far is
2: I wish you had given me that question before to think about it. <laughs> what do I say to them before? Uh, what do I tell her? What do you tell uh, you to be, the, the be, young Faye? <laughs> I, I, I tell her that uh, you always find your way. So don't be afraid. Don't be worried. You always find your way in this life. You know, just rely on on trust yourself, trust your gut feeling. That's very important. Trust your gut feeling. Don't doubt yourself. Just keep on marching forward. You find it. You find your way. And you're a lucky one, by the way. (laughs) I would tell her that too, that you're a lucky one. Just because uh, the fact that I managed to come out and many people haven't and they're still suffering. It's being lucky. Yes, I took an action. I took the steps, but a lot of people did the same, but haven't been able to unchain themselves from the current situation.
0: I thank you so much for this today.
2: Thank you, jian Such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and
2: And oh. looking forward to staying in touch with you.
0: That would be fantastic.
2: Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> thank office. Bye bye. Bye.
0: Faye Arjomandi, she's an entrepreneur, thought leader, founder and CEO at Mimic Technology. She joined me today from Los Angeles, California. of Shia there, live, playing that keyboard as we say goodbye. Uh, Thank you so much for listening today. I was wondering if it was going to be distractive, disruptive, distracted, distracting. Shia is disrupting this now. Uh, It sounds good. Keep going. This is full time for Rook today. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to our whole team for putting this together. Rook uh sorry, info at r- rookmedia.com is where to find us or on any of our platforms. Please subscribe. And uh I want to go out on some music. Um so you know how Faye. Can you talk and play at the same time, Shaya? <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> You know how Faye seemed like she was going from one place to another, yes. nomadic all over the world. Yes, yes. So I've got a song for you. Bilite Yektar Affair, One-Way Ticket yep. from 2014 from Sogand. Yeah? Yes. You approve. Thanks again, everybody. I'm Mizun Mizunbashin.
3: میخوام از اینجا برم یه جای دیگه که نبینم روی تو رو بار دیگه چون که با تو بودن یه کابوس تکراریه که خاکی که تو توش باشی اجباریه میرم و نمیکنم پشتم و نگاه یه بیلیت یه طرفه دارم به اون دور دورا اون جایی که از تو دیگه میشناستم هیچ احدی رو جایی که نداره راه برگشتم اون جایی که میگن توشیچ کمرینش کسته از این بازی با حد نمی کنه سرنوشت نشکسته از عشق نشکسته از درد روزگاه تفه که کیچ چشمو میدندم نمیخوام ببینم خواب تو رو دفعه دیگه که دارم را من ندیدم نمیخوام بکنم یاد تو را من بودم با دلم تهاو اومدی هوای این دلم مال تو شد میشه کنی توی یه قلبمو نمیری بذار که بمیرم با شو تو دفعه دیگه که چشمو میدندم نمیخوام ببینم خواب تو رو دفعه دیگه که دارم را من ندیدم نمیخوام بکنم یاد تو را من بودم با دلم تهاو اومدی قلبم رو نمیری بذار که بمیرم پا شما رو میرم که به هم نرسه دست تو دلم از خزون زندگی خسته شد میرم به امید فصلی نو در آی زندگی همه رون بسته شد گفتی تو رسم و رسوم دروغ نیست قلب من رو تو فروختی یه فهمیدی چی آوردی به میخوام کنم یاد تو رو من بودم بود ولی تنها و مادیه های این دلم مال تو شد ریشه کرد توی قلب من نمیری بزرگ که بمیرم پاشو برو دفعه دیگه که چشم ام میبندم نمیخوام ببینم خواب تو رو دفعه دیگه که دارم نیخندم نمیخوام بکنم یاد تو رو من بودم بود ولی تنها و مادیه های این دل شیرین کردی توی قلبم اون نمیری بذار که بمیرم واسه و رو دفعه دیگه که چشممو میبندم نمیخوام ببینم خواب تو رو دفعه دیگه که دارم من میخندم نمیخوام بکنم یاد تو من بودم با دلم تنها بودم دیگه های این دلم مال تو باش شاد توی قلبم اون نمیری بذار که بمیرم واسه و رو دفعه دیگه که چشممو میبندم نمیخوام ببینم خواب تو رو که دارم من میخندم نمیخوام و کنم یاد تو من بودم با دلم تنها و اومدیه هایی این دلم مال تو شاد میشه کردی توی قلبم و نمیری بذار که بمیرم پاشه بارو